circle, yes, we rotate 360 degrees, high, high, 360 degrees, high, high, 306, 306, 360 degrees, high, high, Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Full Circle, your cultural affairs radio magazine produced by members and graduates of the First Voice Apprenticeship Program, broadcasting from right here at KPFA in Huchin, occupied Ohlone territory, also known to settlers as Berkeley, California. And tonight we'll be taking a look at a couple of things, including Juneteenth celebrations around the Bay Area on tonight's show. We'll speak with Anthony Randolph of Grace Arms of Antioch, and he'll tell us about their Juneteenth event. After that, we'll hear a calendar of Juneteenth events happening around the Bay Area. And in the second half of the show, we'll be joined by Max Wilbert, author of Bright Green Lies, How the Environmental Movement Lost Its Way, and What We Can Do About It. Also joining us will be Deronda Hinky. She is a Fort McDermott Paiute Shoshone tribal member and a part of the People of Red Mountain group. They will be joining us to talk about Pihimuha, a.k.a. Thacker Pass, and a proposed lithium mine that is threatening sacred tribal lands near the Nevada-Oregon border. All that tonight on Full Circle. I am your host, Freewell and Franklin, coming to you from downtown Antioch. This is Bay Miwok Territory. Keep it locked right here to KPFA. All right, again, welcome to Full Circle, the weekly show produced by apprentices and graduates of the First Voice Apprenticeship Program. My name is Freewell and Franklin, and I am your host tonight. I am also a graduate of this program. Tonight, in the first half of the show, we'll be honoring Juneteenth. Now, I'm fairly confident that most of our KPFA and Full Circle listeners are familiar with the holiday, but still, many people aren't. Juneteenth originated in Galveston, Texas, when on June 19th in 1865, federal troops led by General Gordon Granger arrived to enforce the legal freedom of formerly enslaved people signed into law by President Abraham Lincoln through the Emancipation Proclamation. And although the law was signed two and a half years earlier, in reality, many people had no idea they were legally free and still lived as slaves until northern troops advanced and enforced the proclamation, bringing freedom to 250,000 more people in Texas alone. The following year, freedmen organized the first Jubilee Day on June 19th which throughout the years has become known as Juneteenth. Juneteenth honors the end of slavery in the United States and is considered the longest-running African-American holiday. And recently, some great news, right? On June 17th, 2021, it officially became a federal holiday. What? That was yesterday. Let's check out this interview with Anthony Randolph of Grace Arms of Antioch and learn about the Juneteenth celebration they are organizing. 
All right, everyone, Free Will and Franklin here reporting still for Full Circle right here on KPFA 94.1 FM and kpfa.org. And tonight we're going to talk about Juneteenth and a celebration and commemoration of that day at Grace Bible Fellowship here in Antioch. And Grace Bible Fellowship is actually on the border of Antioch and Oakley over in the far east end of town. And they are hosting the Juneteenth event thanks to some work from our friend, Dr. Carrie Frazier, who some of our listeners may be familiar with from our reporting from Antioch's Black History Arts and Artifacts exhibit. And right now, I'd like to introduce my guest for tonight that's going to be telling us all about the special Juneteenth commemoration and celebration. His name is Anthony Randolph, and he is the program director and board member of Grace Arms of Antioch. Welcome, Anthony. Well, thank you for it's an honor to be here too, uh, with you today. I'm glad you're here, and I'm excited to talk about Juneteenth in Antioch, because as we know, it's, it hasn't been around out here that long. Um, real quickly, Anthony, I know there, there's two parts to your organization. Um, just tell us real quickly the difference between Grace Bible Fellowship of Antioch and Grace Arms, the 501c3 that runs these separate programs we're going to be talking about tonight. Sure, yes. Uh, Grace Bible Fellowship of Antioch is the church side of the uh, organization. Uh, it has uh, been around for right around uh, 15 years uh, in the area. Uh, and then Grace Arms of Antioch is the separate 501c uh, organization where all of our community-based organizations fall under. All right, great. That's good that you could do that. And tell us about the location of Grace Arms. It's far out on the east end of Antioch near the Oakley border, and it sits on quite a large patch of land. Um, what's going on out there, and what are you going to be doing with that land? Yeah, that's great. Yeah, we have uh, right around uh, nine acres um, you know, out there uh, right now with our sanctuary and our administrative building, as well as a, a food and pantry building uh, are currently on the location. Then we have a separate building that has our uh, Grace House, was a transitional uh, housing. Uh, but in the near future, we have a, a plan under the Grace Bible Fellowship to build out uh, the property. Uh, where we'll be adding uh, in the future, uh, 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 believe it or not, a, a bowling alley, uh, a community center. Uh, we also will build another sanctuary. And this year, we hope to break ground on our new child care center, uh, all at the same location. Right on. Well, let's talk about some of that stuff, because speaking of Grace Arms, you guys offer a lot out there, as we're hearing. I read about after-school programs, child care a food and clothing closet, you just mentioned transitional housing, um, some recovery programs, sports, summer camps. Tell us about some of your favorite programs of yours that are offered at Grace Arms and about how people can get involved, the cost, if they're free. or Yeah, tell us about some of your favorites. Yeah, you know, we really try to do a holistic uh, approach to uh, serving the community. That's what we're really about is trying to serve the community. And uh, we actually have a couple of new programs that we're just launching. We just launched our Midnight Basketball League. Uh, on our campus, we also have uh, uh, several uh, basketball courts as well as a full uh, artificial soccer field uh, on, on, our, um, on our lot as well. 
And so uh, we just launched the Midnight Basketball League, and we're now part of the Antioch um, a chapter of the national chapter of the uh, Midnight Basketball League. So that's one of my favorite ones that we just launched. And then our Grace Closet, um, we serve twice a week uh, free. And all these things are free um, um, at our location. And our Grace Closet organization, we have a food and pantry uh, on Wednesdays and Saturdays where it's free, where people can come in and be served uh, with, with free food as well as clothing. And could I ask about the transitional housing? Because it sounded like you had a spot on there. And I feel like Antioch and the surrounding area, we know we have a homeless um, issue here. How are you helping out with the transitional housing? What's this about? Yeah, we have actually a house um, on our, our property. And uh, when we first uh, purchased the property uh, in 2014, we uh, purchased the house separately. And initially, we were talking about having a transitional housing just for, for men, maybe those that are transitioning out of the criminal system uh, to support uh, men uh, there. Uh, but recently, we actually have been bringing in whole families. Um, it's a, a couple of uh, places where we have uh, several rooms where we can come in and transition uh, housing. There is some cost related to uh, based on your, your your income, or we barter services where maybe uh, those who are not actually working but can still use the housing, and then they you know come and do work, uh, volunteer you know in our programs. So it's a it's a great 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 uh, benefit to the entire community. Yeah, that sounds amazing, especially for families who um, typically can have a hard time finding a complete shelter together. Absolutely. Uh, well, what we are here to talk about tonight is the commemoration and the celebration of Juneteenth that will be happening tomorrow. And before we get into your event, Anthony, and um, what people can expect if they show up and check it out, tell me about how you learned of Juneteenth and what it means to you personally. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. You know, with um, the roots, uh, personally, in my family, of my family migrating out of the South uh, from Alabama and Mississippi and in the 40s where they came out to the San Francisco area. My father worked at the, the Hunters Point, you know, shipyard. So we had a, a good attachment. We had some family living in Texas as well, uh, where uh, obviously we, we know in 1865, uh, Texas recognized, you know, the, the uh, Juneteenth and the, the freedom of the, of, of the slaves. So I knew early on uh, of that, but uh, at somewhere um, as I was growing up and into my early 30s, we really lost the connection, you know, to it. And so, in the last five years, I really been uh, more socially connected to Juneteenth and, and with our, you know, our Black History events. And so, personally, what it really means to me is a celebration. And when I say celebration, I mean some good hometown fun, you know, and that's what we'll have at our event. We're going to have some fun, uh, it's a time to uh, relax and just celebrate overall the black culture. And one more question before we get into the actual event, because there's recent news that um, our government has moved forward to make it a national holiday. It just looks like it's going to head to the president's desk where it's expected to be signed. How are you feeling about that? Wonderful, wonderful. And it's, it's funny because we wrote up a history 
uh, that is part of our program, right? And in the program, we talked about that uh, it's not recognized as a national holiday. But guess what? Just in the last few days, the legislation has uh, voted through the, uh, the Senate as now as well as the House uh, to have a national holiday for Juneteenth. So I think that that's, uh, that's great. Well, um, tell us about the event itself and tell our listeners some of the components of the day's events and what time things might be happening. So if they want to show up at a particular time, um, they can catch some of these uh, programs you have running. Well, great, great. Yes. So the event is taking place on June 19th um, at our, our Grace Arms location, 3415 Oakley Road in Antioch. Starts off at 1130. It's going to end at 430. Oh, we're going to have a grand old time. We're going to talk about the history of Juneteenth, uh, you know, briefly. We'll have representation from the, uh, the mayor's office uh, to speak. We're going to talk uh, about the um, uh, a pledge for the African-American. Uh, we're going to have the uh, VA uh, come and we can present them as well. And then we're going to have, you know, remarks from our, our president of the board, uh, uh, Pastor Kirkland A. Smith, he'll, he'll speak. And then we have an organization out of Oakland called the Black Cowboy Association. Yes, with cowboy hats and horses, they're going to come in. We're going to have a parade. Uh, we'll have spoken word. We're going to praise, dance. We're going to have a party, really. <laughs> We're really going to have a party. And it's headlined um, by uh, a young man, a hip-hop and rap artist named Miles Minnick. So you can Google that. You'll be able to find out more information. But we're going to have a grand old time, and we're ready, and we hope that everyone comes out. And you mentioned food. Tell us about some of the food. Do you already know what's on the menu, or are you, are you still in the dark about that, or are you on, are you on the inside loop with the food? I am. Uh, we are having concession. We are going to be selling some, some of the food on the, on the event to help with the proceeds of the entire event. But yeah, we have ribs, we have chicken, we have potato salad. Uh, we have something called a red drink. And it's a whole history about that. I don't know if we have time to really get into that. But we have the traditional you know, African-American fare that you would have at even some of the family cookouts. So we're ready for you. Um, we hope everybody come down. Thank you for all that information. Now. Like we talked about briefly uh, before we got on the mic here, Juneteenth is not actually celebrated a lot in Antioch. In fact, it's quite new and probably only been around for a few years that we've actually had events out here recognizing this um, holiday. So this event was not always at the Grace Bible uh, Fellowship of Antioch. In fact, uh, our friend Dr. Kerry Frazier had worked on this in the past Talk about um, your relationship to Dr. Kerry Frazier and how Grace Arms has taken this on. Yeah, sure. Yeah, Dr. Frazier uh, and I connected probably in 2018 through her former organization, the Ruah Organization. And uh, we met because we also ran out of facilities. And so uh, we first started talking about the Black History event. Uh, and then we uh, actually rented out our facility in 2019 um, through her organization, and we had a Juneteenth festival um, at our location, but it was under the Ruha organization. And because she is working with some other organizations, we said we will take on, the Grace Arms will take on uh, the running of the Juneteenth you know, festival. But in general, you, you, you see some connections with, with some locations, a lot of it out of Oakland, 
but in the eastern Contra Costa area, you really did not hear about it. And so now is the, is a is a great time, uh, you know, to celebrate this particular event, and uh, we're looking forward to uh, our Saturday event. And that's the voice of my special guest tonight, Anthony Randolph. He's the program director and board member at Grace Arms Fellowship, and he's talking about their special Juneteenth celebration happening tomorrow. And Anthony, tell our listeners where they could look up more information about this and follow what happens at uh, Grace Arms and uh, your other organizations. Sure. You know, you can find all of their information at www.gracearms.org forward slash Juneteenth. And you can also just go to www.gracearms.org to find out about all of our programs uh, under uh, Grace Arms. And uh, you can contact us there. Uh, all of our information is freely there as, as well as some social media channels. But it's been great. Uh, we look forward to this great event. And lastly, before we go, what are you looking forward to uh, most, um, not only tomorrow at your Juneteenth celebration, but now that we're opening back up to normal, um, coming up in the future for Grace Arms? Yeah, you know, uh, we're going to have several community-based organizations as vendors, you know, for this event. Uh, and I've been talking to Dr. Frazier and some other key leaders in the community. So we're going to talk about having some kind of roundtable event in October. Um, you know, coming out of the pandemic, we're, we're going to really uh, try to get ourselves into um, a footprint for 2022. And so uh, in October timeframe, we're going to get together and we hope to uh, spread the word about this. And then out of that, be able to plan and how we can all link together and really serve our great community here in East Contra Costa. It sounds so good. I'm glad you're doing all this work. Remind everybody uh, what time this is happening tomorrow. Sure. It's uh, 11.30 to 4.30, uh, June 19th on Saturday, and we hope everybody come out. And what's the address for the uh, Grace Arms? Sure. It's 3415 Oakley Road, right on the, uh, the border of Oakley and Antioch. And we will post a link to their location and all their uh, links to their social media and website on our website, kpfaapprentice.org, just after the show tonight. Anthony, thanks for coming on tonight and not only letting us know about this, but, uh, you know, doing the work so that we can enjoy this kind of event. Well, it was a pleasure uh, meeting you and it's a pleasure to talk to our radio on audience. And we look forward to seeing you at this great event. Thank you. Welcome back. This is Full Circle on 94.1 KPFA and KPFA.org. My name is Free Will and Franklin, and I am your host tonight. You just heard my interview with Anthony Randolph of Grace Arms of Antioch. To follow what's happening at Grace Arms and all those great programs Anthony just spoke of, visit our website, kpfaapprentice.org, just after the show, and we'll have all the links and information, including the location and time of tomorrow's Juneteenth event. Now, Grace Arms is not the only Juneteenth celebration happening in Antioch or the Bay Area. So to give us some information on other Juneteenth events happening around the Bay, Sharon Peterson created this list for us. Take a listen.
Yesterday, on June 17, 2021, President Joseph Biden signed into law a bill that declares June 19th, Juneteenth, a federal holiday. Yes, we have a long, long way to go. But this year, we have more reason to celebrate Juneteenth than we've had in a very, very long time. Here is a sampling of tomorrow's events. All are free to the general public. This info and links will be posted on kpfaapprentice.org after the show. On this most historic Juneteenth, let's come safely together and celebrate. In Oakland, the Friends of the Hoover-Durant Public Library launched their Black Liberation Walking Tour on Juneteenth. The tour is a cultural map and archive celebrating the rich Black history of Oakland's Hoover-Durant neighborhood. The launch party runs from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. at Sparkett Place at 3419 San Pablo Avenue. For more info, visit stayhappening.com. The second annual Oakland Juneteenth Fest offers live art, DJs, food, and positive vibes from 12 p.m. to 8 p.m. at the Lake Merritt Amphitheater, 1 Lake Merritt Boulevard. For more info, visit happeningnext.com. In San Francisco, Mega Black SF presents Juneteenth on the Waterfront, celebrating San Francisco's Black-owned businesses from 8 a.m. to 12 p.m. at the Embarcadero Ferry Terminal Plaza, south of the Ferry Building, and the Ferry Terminal Farmer's Market. For more info, visit megablacksf.org slash Juneteenth. Bayview Opera House reopens with Juneteenth at BVOH with fashion, drumming, blues, and jazz, and more. The celebration runs from 12.30 p.m. to 3 p.m. at the Bayview Opera House at 4705 3rd Street. For more info, visit eventbrite.com. In Antioch, Antioch's Let Freedom Ring Juneteenth celebration begins with a peace walk at 11 a.m., moving from 6th and 8th Streets to Waldy Plaza, where the celebration starts at 12 p.m. For more info, visit celebrateantioch.org event. Grace Arms of Antioch presents Juneteenth Celebrate Freedom, offering live music, food, raffles, and vendors. The event runs from 11.30 a.m. to 4.30 p.m. at 3415 Oakley Road. For info, visit gracearmsofantioch.org slash Juneteenth. Everyone. 
Welcome back to Full Circle right here on 94.1 FM, KPFA and KPFA.org. That song you just heard was Freedom by Pharrell Williams. And before that, you heard Sharon Peterson with a list of Juneteenth events in and around the Bay Area. Thank you for that work, Sharon. And we'll post a link to all those events again on our website, kpfaapprentice.org, just a little after the show tonight. And real quick, one more event to mention that came in at the last minute. The West Oakland Community Market holds a Community Saving Community, a drive through community food distribution on Saturday, June 19th. This includes free food and supplies. This is a first-come, first-served Juneteenth event that takes place from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. at Community Foods Market, 3105 San Pablo Avenue in Oakland. That's 3105 San Pablo Avenue in Oakland. For more information, visit communityfoodsmarket.com. Now, coming up next, we're going to take the second half of the show and talk about the proposed destruction of sacred land in northern Nevada near the Oregon border. This area, known as Pahimaha, is very important to Paiute and Shoshone people and is part of their traditional lands. Of course, in the colonizers' eyes, there are dollar signs. This area in northern Nevada has a high concentration of lithium in the clay embedded below the surface, and it has been a target for numerous lithium mines, including that of Tesla owner Elon Musk. Right now, there is a camp set up to protect Pihimuha, a.k.a. Thacker Pass, that will hopefully build up their strength and be able to battle these giant mining corporations. Let's check out this interview with Max Wilbert and DeAndre Hinky recorded earlier this week. Hello again, everyone. This is Free Will and Franklin coming to you on Full Circle right here on 94.1 KPFA. And I got some special guests tonight to talk about Pihi Muha and AKA Thacker Pass and what's going on out there. First up is Max Wilbert. He's a community organizer and a writer. He's the author of the book, Bright Green Lies, How the Environmental Movement Lost Its Way, and, of course, what we can do about it. Max helped uh, to launch the Protect Thacker Pass camp. And also with this is Deronda Hinky, Fort McDermott Paiute Shoshone tribal member, um, she graduated with a Bachelor's of Science at Southern Oregon University and is currently part of the People of Red Mountain group. Thank you both for joining us tonight on Full Circle. Thanks, Frank. Good to be here. Yeah, thank you for having us. Great. I'm excited to um, get the word out about what's going on up there. I know you've got some recent airtime on KPFA, and it's good to keep up the uh, the drumbeat coverage. So... First, let me just ask you both if you have um, any tribal affiliation um, to tell us what that is and what is the drive inside you um, to fight for the health of the earth and its inhabitants and our relatives here in the animal kingdom. Uh, let's start with you, uh, Deronda. Yeah, I am a Fort McDermott Paiute Shoshone tribal member, or also known as NOLA. Yeah, so that just means that Pihimaha, 
or, or also known as Thacker Pass, is on our ancestral homelands. Um, we take up a, a wide space in this northern Nevada area. Um, you know, we share it with a lot of sister tribes like Summit Lake, Fort Bidwell, Burns, Duck Valley, Winnemucca, Indian Colony, um, etc. And um, yeah, then I'll leave it to Max. Yeah, I'm I'm not a tribal member, but um, this place is is incredibly important, and and you know my experience out here has been um, has been pretty profound at Thacker Pass. You know, anyone who's walked on land that is damned, that is condemned, uh, that is uh, under threat, sort of under the headsman's axe, um, knows that it can be a pretty powerful experience, and so. The first time I came out here to to Pahimaha or Thacker Pass was last October, and I immediately just felt this this energy that this place had to be protected. Definitely. And uh, let me thank you both right off the bat for teaching us the actual name of the place, Pahimaha. And I think it's important that we do that whenever possible. Um, who is Thacker? You know what I mean? What's Thacker Pass? All the names have been changed already, so it's good to bring them back. I'm coming to you from downtown Antioch over here in California, which is Bay Miwok territory. Um, I haven't got the real name of Antioch on my mind right this moment, but um, I'm making a step by knowing the people here, and uh, I think that's important. So again, I thank you for using the traditional name of the land. Let's talk about what is happening at Pihimaha and AKA Thacker Pass. There is a new lithium mine scheduled to go online in 2022 and expand to double its capacity in 2026. And as we know, lithium has been in high demand for batteries for uh, especially electric vehicles. The Nevada Independent reported in January 2021 that the outgoing Trump administration gave the final approval to the Thacker Pass mine. Also, there's a lot going on up there in Nevada in that area. There's uh, Ioneer, an Australian-based company that is moving forward with permitting a project known as Rhyolite Ridge near Tohonapah. And if you look at the map, this is just about 350 miles due east from the Bay Area here um, as the crow flies. And even Tesla said uh, recently it has secured mining rights to mine lithium in Nevada. So real quickly, let's start with just getting us geographically located so listeners have an idea of where we are. Um, like I mentioned, some of these projects are directly east from the Bay Area, 350 miles. If you draw a straight line over um, to Nevada, you'll be at one of those Rio uh, light uh, proposed areas. Where is Pahimaha? a.k.a. Thacker Pass, located? And um, either one of you could answer that one. Who do, you, who do we choose today? I could jump in for that one. Uh, so Thacker Pass, Pahimaha, is located about three hours northeast of Reno. So if you follow I-80, if folks know the I-80 corridor uh, northeast from Reno, you get to the town of Winnemucca, and you cut north on Highway 95 up towards the Oregon border. Uh, the proposed mine site is about 30 miles south of the Oregon border. Um, it is located in between the Double H Mountains and the Montana Mountains, um, just, a, a, just a, a 15 or 20-minute drive off Highway 95. So if, if you looked at a map and found Boise and Reno and went about halfway in between them, uh, that is where 
this mine site is located. All right. Thanks for uh, getting us located there. And according to um, an NS Energy report online, Thacker Pass mine proposal is set to be the biggest lithium deposit in the U.S. It's being developed by Lithium Nevada, which is basically a subsidiary of Lithium America. It is expected to have a mine life of 46 years. It's um, it's going to be, if it gets there, let's um, not say it's going to be, but they're proposing it to be an open, an open pit mine. Can you tell us more about the project at Thacker Pass and the proposed mine project? How about, Deronda, you want to take that? Sure. Okay. So, um, yeah, again, it's going to be an open pit mine, about 17,000 square miles, I believe. Um, and so we see a pit that's going to be about 400 feet deep. Um, you know, Nevada Division of Environmental Protection is saying that they're not going to go under groundwater level, but in the final environmental impact statement, they're saying they're going to take 1.7 billion gallons of water per year. And so, um, you know, we see a high desert ecosystem that's going to be drained of, you know, any type of water that we see out there. And um, um, there is going to be an incinerator burning 24 hours a day. Um, we also see um, some other chemical processing plants. And um, yeah, if there's anything else that Max wants to add to that, that'd be great. Go for it, Max. Yeah, the thanks, Doranda, and the... Um, the destructiveness of, of this mine would be huge. Um, this habitat that I'm actually in Thacker Pass, I'm on Pihimaha right now, and I'm looking out at this uh, sagebrush ecosystem. Um, this is actually increasingly rare across Nevada to find this type of old sagebrush that we have here. Uh, many of these plants are over a hundred years old, over six feet tall. Um, it's basically a, a miniature forest that most of the action takes place, you know, uh, below your waist level. Um, so it might not sort of hit you in the face like a redwood forest, uh, but it's incredibly biodiverse and incredibly important. And this is also a unique place because uh, it's a really important wildlife corridor. So animal species, bird species moving in between the river valleys to the east and the west, um, the, the Quinn River to the east and the Kings River to the west, um, and moving back and forth between the mountain ranges. I mentioned the Montanas to the north, the Double H Mountains to the south. This is this sort of mid-elevation crossing ground, and it's still pretty intact habitat and very important habitat. And like Duranda said, the the mining company wants to come in and basically bulldoze this entire area, everything that I can see around me um, for miles in, in every direction from where I'm sitting, uh, bulldoze it, uh, uh, blow the mountainside up with explosives, dig an open pit 400 feet deep, nearly 400 feet deep, that's the height of a 30-story building, and put in uh, these massive chemical processing facilities uh, I, you know, I think another important point for people to understand, since the company likes to pretend that this is a green project, it's good for people to know that the main chemical ingredient for their processing of the, the lithium in the clay here 
would be sulfuric acid. And the sulfur that they're bringing in to make sulfuric acid on this site would come from oil and gas refineries. And it wouldn't be a small amount of sulfur either. We're talking about uh, the mass of two Empire State Buildings each year, over 700,000 tons of sulfur being trucked in uh, from oil and gas refineries. Um, and the, the mining company would be paying for that, of course, sending money to these oil and gas refineries and you know, using that to extract lithium to make electric car batteries and call it green. Yeah, well, before we get more into um, the waste and the, the chemicals out there, tell us more about our four-legged and other animal relatives, the brothers and sisters. Who is in danger out there in our animal kingdom along with the, uh, the plants you spoke of? Sure, I can start a little bit. So th this is, like I mentioned, this is really important wildlife habitat. It's a migration corridor for pronghorn antelope. Uh, it's a very important winter habitat for uh, mule deer who, uh, you know, the top of the mountain is too cold for them in the wintertime. And, and down in the valley bottom, there's pretty intensive agriculture going on. So the habitat quality isn't, isn't very good. Uh, the, this is some of the best habitat in the world for the greater sage grouse. They have been uh, in precipitous decline. Their populations have just been crashing. Um, over the last century and a half to the point where um, scientists tell us that between 97 and 99 percent of the sage grass population is gone. Um, there used to be something like maybe 15 to 20 million of them across the west and and now there are there are less than a million. Um, this is some of the best habitat left in the world and in fact in order to permit this mine uh, the Bureau of Land Management had to ignore their own sage grouse protection regulations. Um, and, and it's legal for them to do that. Um, at least they're claiming it's legal for them to do that because you know the law of the land in this area is the 1872 mining law, which you know is a colonization era law that was written during a, you know the early history of, of, uh, of the West being colonized and was just designed to facilitate extraction as fast as possible, um, blowing up mountains all across Nevada, all across the West, um, to get to the coal, the oil, the uh, silver and gold and uh, iron ore and everything else. And now that law is being exploited to, uh, to streamline the production of lithium. So there, there are other wildlife species here too. The Lahontan cutthroat trout live in the creeks, uh, just to the north and, and east of Thacker Pass. Um, those are a federally listed uh, species under the Endangered Species Act. Um, there's a lot of bird life here. There's golden eagles. Um, there is, are meadow larks and, and sage sparrows singing every morning as we wake up here at camp. Um, so the wildlife's very special. And, and you know, it's, it's special for its own sake, and it's also special because People have a long, long history of relationship with this place and, and relationship with the wildlife of this land. And maybe Duranda would want to jump in and say something about that. Yeah, uh, you mentioned it earlier, Duranda. Uh, remind us again whose traditional lands these are. Max just kind of described the terrain and the animals, but what's out there in terms of like sacred sites and what does this ma land mean to uh, the in original inhabitants? Mm. 
Okay, yeah, this is this is the traditional lands of the um, Paiute and Shoshone people, or what we call it as Nuwa. And the closest reservation that you're seeing is Fort McDermott Paiute Shoshone tribe. Um, of course, you know, back in the day, we all got uh, moved to different reservations. So I would just say that this is uh, Fort McDermott ancestral homelands. And on a cultural side, we see that Obviously, you know, the animals are really important to us. Um, there's, you know, oral history saying back way back in the day, they still had a voice and uh, they lost their voice when the people stopped um, listening to them. And so we still see them as um, really important. Um, you know, we hunt uh, certain animals during certain seasons and, um, you know, during a time um, during COVID when it was pretty uh uh, pretty big last year. Um, some of the people on the reservation, they actually got it. And so when they did, they went to get their traditional medicines. And a lot of the times they told us that they went out to Thacker Pass or Pihimaha, um, and they, they got the medicines from there and it helped them a lot. And, um, so we see that cultural side of, you know, the plants and the first foods, and then we also see that this place in our oral history is a uh, uh, massacre. There was a massacre here, and that's actually how Pihimaha got its name in Paiute. That means rotten moon. And so uh, just a quick uh, story that the, the people, they were um, camped there. And so when the hunters went away, they came back and... Um, they came back to their elders, the woman and the children, um, brutally massacred um, the intestines laying all across the sagebrush. And the smell of it was really rotten when the hunters came back. And Thacker Pass, it looks like a crescent-shaped moon. And so you see, you know, where that name comes from. And, um, you know, that's, that's why we call it that. But the BLM, you know, states otherwise that there's no burial sites there and I just think that goes against all of our oral history and just you know diminishing native people in that way and so this place is used historically I guess as a you know a migration route um, it's used it was used for a hiding place you know when they were all trying to round them up to go to the reservations and then also you know a campsite and um, yeah, so we see all these things, but then on a more modern day, uh, more modern day side, we see that a lot of people go and fish in the creeks and in near a pond right down by Thacker Pass, and um, that would be ruined. They wouldn't be able to do that if they do this lithium mine, you know. And then you know, I've heard a lot of other stories where men have. Um, hunted their first deer in Thacker Pass, and to an indigenous young man, like that's that's pretty special. And so those stories will be gone if you if you have this lithium mine there. You know the the Pihimaha, it won't be Pihimaha. It'll be you know just a story of it again. You know it's not a place where we can go mourn our, our ancestors. And so we see this disconnection if this lithium mine does go through.
And um, we touched on it earlier about the water, but let's get more into the water because you mentioned the fish and the fishing, and it's um, it's limited out there. According to the NS Energy article I read, raw water supply will be sourced from a well or a series of wells in the Quinn River Valley. Uh, electrical submersible well pumps will be installed in the groundwater wells to bring water to a surface pump station and then pump to the plant along an approximately 12 kilometer long pipeline. Now, as we mentioned, I imagine water must be limited out there. How water intensive are these mines and what are the dangerous repercussions of uh, lithium Nevada taking this water? Mm. Yeah, the, the, the ramifications and the dangers are huge. Um, you mentioned, or Duranda mentioned, 1.7 million or billion gallons per year. That's 4.5 million gallons per day that this mine would use. Uh, every day, uh, 365 days a year for more than 40 years. And if you listen to the mining company, they want to actually expand onto the south side of Thacker Pass and the east side of Thacker Pass directly adjacent to sentinel rock which is a really important cultural site that's they want to mine those areas too which would expand the mine to last a hundred years and their water pipeline would run right next to sentinel rock as well um so the the water impact could be potentially huge uh you know there's other mines throughout nevada and throughout the west that use a lot of water as well and agricultural users uh use a lot of water too um you know, the difference is that this water would be mixed with sulfuric acid and used to dissolve this soil that contains uranium, arsenic, antimony, all kinds of uh, different chemicals. And so the, the water use as well as the water contamination is a major concern. Um, the, the hydrology here in the ground is really complicated because this is a volcanic uh, area. So from what we've heard from geologists, you know, there could be lava tubes in the ground, these, these sort of lenses or floating aquifers in the, in the soil here, um, these connectivities between different areas, different aquifers that might seem disconnected uh, at first glance. And those type of things are really hard to figure out with the hydrology report. So, you know, one of the fears is that when they start digging down 400 feet into the ground here, um, we're going to see springs drying up around Thacker Pass. Those springs have endemic species in them. We might see water levels dropping in um, Crowley Creek and Pole Creek. Uh, those streams that I mentioned that have the Lahontan cutthroat trout, the federally listed under the Endangered Species Act uh, fish. Uh, and then the, the, the pond that Duranda mentioned is just to the west of the project uh, boundary, um, probably less than a mile or two. And you know, the contamination of that water um, or the reduction in the, the quantity of that water is a major concern. And there have been two lawsuits filed against this project. One of those was filed by a local rancher and, and his major concerns that he brought up in his lawsuit are related to water. Um, you know, he grazes his cattle on these naturally irrigated meadows just to the east of, of Pihimaha, Thacker Pass. And there are these beautiful meadows with this native bunch grass, um, great basin wild rye that can grow six feet tall and uh, is an incredible carbon sequestration plant, in fact. And, you know, he's concerned and, and all of us are concerned that uh, if they take the water, they take, you know, four and a half million gallons a day, it's going to drop the water table 
under, uh, you know, those plants and those areas that aren't directly destroyed by the mine, they will be indirectly destroyed uh, by, uh, by their water being taken away, if not by, you know, air pollution, dust, and, and uh, you know, noise pollution, uh, all the other impacts that a big project like this has. And probably some light pollution. Um, that's the voice of Absolutely. Max Wilbert. He's um, up at Pahimaha, a.k.a. Thacker Pass. He's one of my special guests tonight, along with uh, Duranda Hinky, a Fort McDermott uh, Paiute Shoshone tribal member. And we're talking about Thacker Pass, uh, known traditionally as Pahimaha. And before we run out of time, I wanted to just get a couple more questions in because we are blessed to have Deb Holland, our first Native American Secretary of the Interior. And first, I'd like to know... Um, Duranda, what kind of hope this gives you that we have a Native American Secretary of the Interior? Um, what are you asking of her? Like I said, what are your hopes? And then what is the reality you face as you try to reach out for her hand and support? Yeah, so it's really awesome to see, you know, a Native American um, person in there. Um, I think we have kind of a almost like an upper hand in that because she understands those um, those teachings and that knowledge and how important the culture is. And so, um, you know, she's from um, a different part of, you know, N Nevada, but it doesn't matter because all people of uh, indigenous lands, they all get it. And so that's pretty awesome. And what we're asking from her is to come and visit um, Pahimha or also known as Thacker Pass because um, we want her to connect with the land and we've actually had a lot of people come up here and not remember it or haven't been up here in a really long time. And then when they connect with it, they, they don't want to leave. They think it's beautiful, you know? And so I think uh, in hopes of hearing our, our tribal voice, as well as connecting with the land that, um, she might be able to stop this project. Have you had any communication with her yet? Um, no, we haven't. We had a phone bank actually yesterday and that was to, uh, call her office and leave like a comment about Thacker Pass and her, uh, visiting it. Um, so it was pretty successful. I would say there was a few people on the call and, um, the phone bank calling her, um, it was always really, really busy. So I was hoping that the amount of people that was calling her, um, was a large number. And so, you know, some of the realities we face with that is that, yes, she could stop it, but, you know, we have a bunch of billionaires, you know, investing in lithium. We have Tesla looking at us. We have, you know, these big corporations. Um, we're messing with their with their money, you know, we're messing with their, their company. So that's um, something that... Uh, we have to take in consideration as well as, you know, um, people are pushing, you know, for green energy and this green alternative. I mean, if you just watch TV for about 10 minutes, you'll probably see about four or five EV car um, coming up in 2022. And so, you know, we see this really big push for it. And so I think that would be a really big dramatic change for um you know, the whole United States, because um, we are a very taking culture and meaning, you know, with the U.S. Um, mining law of 1872, we, we take, you know, we take from public lands, you know, 
we're always consuming. I think that's really what I'm trying to get at is that we need to consume dramatically less. And so I think that um, with this push for EV cars, I think Max says it the best when he says, you know, we can't save the planet when we're destroying it. And that's exactly what lithium is trying to do is just greenwash that. I'm sorry to interrupt. As we start to wrap up, we're running out of time here, but I think we all saw the power of the people come together in Standing Rock, and I feel like this is our dream situation we need at all of our big battles that we're having right now over land, whether it be here um, in the north end of the continent, in Canada, at Line 3, whatever we're doing, um, the power of the people seems to make a big difference as we know um, what are you doing to get people up to Pahimaha and are you inviting people to come to the camp and to bring themselves and put themselves in the way yeah absolutely we're trying to get as many people as we can out here um, as of right now we believe that uh, on July 29th or soon afterwards the mining company will come out to uh, begin doing what they call cultural trenching activities. Um, I think it could more accurately be called looting. Um, what they're planning on doing is uh, going first to um, the native cultural sites, um, the places on this land, on Pihimaha, where artifacts are found, um, campfires, uh, tools, um, obsidian arrowheads, and, and other things, um, and potentially burial sites as well, and, and dig those up. And, uh, you know, they say that this is a process of mitigation. Um, I don't think that's the case at all. I think it's a process of, of, of a, destroying a culture. I mean, that's something that we've seen throughout the history of this country is um, that the United States government and, and corporate interests have deliberately worked to destroy native cultures and to force people to assimilate. Uh, you know, whether you're talking about the Dawes Act or um, the boarding school system, which we've all been seeing in the news, the, you know, the brutality of that genocidal practice. And, you know, that, that genocide continues today. And uh, it, you know, it may not be quite as direct as like smallpox blankets in the past, but uh, the definition of genocide includes the deliberate destruction of culture. And that's what we're seeing at Thacker Pass and Line 3 and so many places around um, this country and around the world is corporations with government support um, deliberately and knowingly and willfully destroying native lands, sacred sites, um, you know, first foods like Duranda talked about, medicines, um, and really important uh, cultural sites that are actively used today like, like Thacker Pass. Um, you know, this isn't land that's on the reservation. It's claimed by the federal government. But right now, this is this is public land under U.S. law. Anyone can come here. Anyone can camp and and spend time out on the land. And the, the people do that. People, uh, the native community especially, spends time out in these mountains and out in these areas. And and you know, it's just wrong what they're trying to do is what I'm saying. So we really need as many people as possible to come join us at camp for a day, a weekend, a week longer, um, spend time out here with us. The more strength we have on the ground, um, the better our chances of stopping this project. And, uh, folks can check out protectdockerpass.org for 
more info as well or uh, protect Thacker Pass or people of Red Mountain on social media for more information. All right. Yeah, I will post links to Protect Thacker Pass and I've been following Protect Pahimaha. Um, let's just close out with uh, Duranda. What would you like the listeners to know about Pahimaha before um, we say goodnight? Yeah, I would just say that this place is really beautiful. Um, come see it for yourself. Uh, this is a dark sky uh, with no light pollution, so it's the best time to see stars. Um, really awesome to reconnect with the land, um, but also come in a good way with a good heart um, and a good mind, respectful of the uh, traditional people there. All right, those are the voices of my special guest tonight. That was D- Duranda Hinky, Fort McDermott Paiute Shoshone tribal member, part of the people of the Red Mountain Group. And also with us is Max Wilbert, community organizer and writer. He's the author of Bright Green Lies, How the Environmental Movement Lost Its Way and What We Can Do About It. And Max also helped launch the Thacker Pass Camp. I thank you both for joining us tonight on Full Circle. I will post the links to all the information I have to your websites, to your Facebook, on our website, kpfaapprentice.org. And again, I thank you for joining us tonight on Full Circle. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. That brings us to the end of tonight's show. Remember to check out our website, kpfaapprentice.org just after the show tonight for links and information related to tonight's show, including all those for Thacker Pass. Shout out to my special guests, Max Wilbert and Deronda Hinky. Also a big shout out to Anthony Randolph for bringing us that information on Juneteenth. And one final shout out for the Full Circle crew. Our executive producer is Miss M. Joy Moore is our production consultant. And myself, Rewell and Franklin, I am the technical director for this show, Full Circle. And I have also been your host tonight. Thanks for listening, everyone. And remember, while you're out there, please protect your health and also your humanity. And stay tuned to KPFA because coming up next is Londa Bajita. Good night, everyone. <laughs>